This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com with your Sunday update for this 27th day of February 2011. And now for the real news. In a series of breaking stories this month, more information is coming out exposing the true nature of the false flag attacks in Oklahoma City in 1995, in New York and Washington in 2001, and in London in 2005. Earlier this month, the UK's Guardian newspaper revealed that Mohammed Junaid Babar, the American-raised Muslim who set up training camps in northwest Pakistan where he taught bomb-making to supposed 7-7 bombing mastermind Mohammed Siddiqui Khan, was in fact an American informant who was cooperating with American authorities even before he was arrested in 2004. According to court documents obtained by The Guardian, the court, represented by District Judge Victor Marrero, ruled that Babar began cooperating even before his arrest and worked with the FBI and foreign governments to investigate the London bombings. He was then sentenced to time served and 10 years probation, meaning that the man who helped plot the deadliest terror attack ever in the UK, an attack that killed 52 people and injured hundreds of others, was let off with a slap on the wrists. Reaction has been swift, with British MPs from across the political spectrum criticizing the decision as a travesty of justice. As bereaved 7-7 family members struggled to understand what happened, experts pointed out that the logical conclusion is that the supposed trainer of the London Underground bombing was in fact working for American intelligence. Graham Folk, father of David Folk, one of the 52 people to die in the London bombings, gave his view on the story to the Guardian newspaper. Every time I hear that Bob has been released or he, early or he was on bail for two years and so has been wandering the streets of America free, in fact I hear he's now that he's now married with children himself, fills me with anger because it points to complicity with the American Secret Service in his role in Pakistan. And that suggests then that whilst Barber was running the training camps, training people to commit mass murder, that was with the full knowledge of the American Secret Service. If he was running those training camps with the knowledge of the American Secret Service, it's inconceivable he wasn't passing information of people who were attending those camps to the Americans. So that then begs the question, why didn't the Americans tell the MI5? Or if they did tell MI5, why wasn't something done? In related news, new bombshell evidence has emerged that the FBI received a phone call warning them the day before the explosion at the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City. Jesse Trinidu, a Salt Lake City lawyer who has been working on the case, obtained documents from the FBI under the Freedom of Information Act showing how Michael Selby, an attorney who claimed to be working off the books in representing the federal government, attempted to make a deal with convicted OKC co-conspirator Terry Nichols to admit to making a call on April 18, 1995, warning the FBI of the explosion. A separate affidavit filed in Utah U.S. District Court by Nichols confirms the meeting with Selby, stating that Nichols had never heard of the call before and that he had not placed the call. Jesse Trinidu appeared on the Bill Deagle Nutra Medical Report earlier this week to discuss the new revelations and their significance. But So after Nichols had been convicted but not given death, he was going to trial in Oklahoma uh, for murder and, and facing the death penalty. Right. He was approached by an, an FBI operative on behalf of uh, the Department of Justice, and they made him. In, they came there specifically to offer him a deal. But anyway, yeah, an agent continue. from the Department of Justice comes to Terry Nichols and says, "We'll guarantee you won't receive the death penalty if you agree to three things." And, and Nichols said, "Well, how can you guarantee that?" And they said, well, "The federal government will not cooperate with the state of Oklahoma. We will not give them evidence, nor allow our." our 
people to testify as witnesses. And Terry Nichols said, well, what do I have to do? And they said, first, the very first thing they wanted, as I said, you have to take responsibility for a phone call that was made the day before the bombing to us warning about the bombing. And Terry said, well, I didn't know there was such a call. And what that indicated to me was there is a record out there somewhere that the FBI can't get rid of of that call. Finally this week, We Are Change has just released footage of their questions to Donald Rumsfeld at this year's CPAC conference in Washington, D.C., where they asked the former Secretary of Defense about the $2.3 trillion that he admitted to being lost from the Pentagon's coffers on September 10th, 2001. Don't wait. Okay. Hey, Donald, did you ever you. find that $2.3 trillion that you talked about the day before 9-11? Did you ever find it? The, it was always there, and what the problem was, was, was tracking it through the system. So when I arrived in the Pentagon, and they okay. told me that they can't track $2.3 billion that had been accumulated over the period before I got there, it turns out that it, there was not a, a, a legal problem or a loss. It was a matter of, of the complexity of the systems and tracking it all the way through. We got to go. What is surprising is not that Rumsfeld attempted to dismiss the question by claiming that the money had always been there, a startling claim that would launch full-scale investigative reports in a free country with an independent press, but that it took 10 years for a group of volunteer citizen journalists to finally pose the question to Rumsfeld and receive any type of official explanation for the greatest accounting blunder in the history of the world. Rumsfeld's answer is unlikely given Cynthia McKinney's famous 2006 assertion that the total missing funds had actually increased to $3.5 trillion at that time, and that Rumsfeld made no such attempt at that time to explain that the money was there all along, but somehow invisible to the Pentagon budget analysts whose offices were blown up in the Pentagon on September 11, 2001. Equally incredible is the fact that Rumsfeld, appearing on the radio show of conservative talk show host Mankow Muller earlier this week, was questioned about the controlled demolition of World Trade Center Building 7 on the afternoon of September 11, 2001, and that he claimed not to know what Building 7 even was. Building 7, I often hear about. No plane hit Building 7. Why did Building 7 come down? What do you tell people? What is Building 7? Or what it was it Building 5 or the building that wasn't hit by the plane? Building 7. I have no idea. I've never heard that. Oh. <laughs> do a talk radio show. <laughs> oh, you'll hear, you'll hear it. That the former Secretary of Defense did not know about the destruction of a 47-story office tower, one of the largest buildings in New York, on the day of the worst attack on American soil in recent history, did not make head international headlines, is newsworthy in and of itself. But if Mr. Rumsfeld was sincere in his ignorance of what happened on 9-11, he is encouraged to begin his research by visiting the website of buildingwhat.org, along with the tens of millions of other Americans who know nothing about the controlled demolition of Building 7. Now please go to CorbettReport.com to download the audio mp3 of episode 177 of the Corbett Report podcast, It's the Sun, Stupid, where we talk to Dr. Tim Ball and explore the work of Piers Corbin on the effects of solar activity on the Earth's climate.